0: You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect
1: life Hello everybody and welcome to the, the <laughs> to the word on the hill podcast to the podcast
0: to of the, the podcast hill on the word with, hey.
1: with the lanky guys. Hey. I, Hi Hi <laughs> I am Dr. Scott Powell. And I am Father Peter Mussett. yeah you I are. It is a, a mournful time of year here because the students have all left people have graduated and <laughs> it's always a, transitions are always hard for me. Really? I don't know if they are for you. I I struggle with transitions. I like routine. And yeah. so it's the end of the school year is always a, a little bit of a time of mourning for me.
0: Dude, this is the thing. This is what happens is that like I'm like I get so tired by the end of the school year that yeah. I'm like, "Oh, can this please stop?" <laughs> yeah. I'm like I'm like this work is so hard. Yeah. And like we invest so deeply in the lives of these kids that I'm that I'm like, oh, it's kind of like watching your kids kids go off to school. You're like, uh. oh, okay, they yeah, they there's get a to, relief. Yeah, they get to be taken care of, and they get to go back. And but then like when they're off at school, you're like, you oh, miss them. I really love my kids. Yeah. So like I really love them, and so like I, I the truth is is that I was really looking forward to them to go, and now that they're gone. <laughs> i'm like super sad
1: yeah yeah it's 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 a real that's that's very honest yeah
0: oh well anyway so, on this sad <laughs> so so all of you students who have left we please you. know we love you and we, we miss you and then please come back in august yes do and pay your fees
1: <laughs> so we won't let you back in <laughs>
0: <laughs> please pay your tuition pay your tuition
1: well on this very mournful sixth sunday of easter
0: Easter Easter time. Which is Saint Christopher um, Magallanes. Really? I don't see that. Magal L A L L A N E S. How do you say that? I don't In Spanish have it on it's, it's a calendar. Mag-a- Are you sure it's the right day? Yeah, I mean it's, right, I, it's I mean it it always trumps the saint of the day. Isn't he a saint of the day? No, on Sunday there's no saint of the day. Ever. Oh, I
1: see what you're saying. Sunday always trumps the saint of the day. Right. Exactly. Yeah, got it. I got it. I got it. Gotcha, May 21st
0: gotcha. is not always Sunday.
1: Oh, I'm caught up now. <laughs> Either way, on my website, it doesn't show his name. Yeah, that's because your website
0: is fallacious.
1: Oh, Ooh. what up, USCCB? I knew that I was <laughs> saying I, know, that. I know, I know. Our it's first, not fallacious.
0: First reading today is from Acts of the Apostles, uh-huh. chapter 8, verses yeah. 5 to 8 and yep. 14 to 17. Did yeah. you read the intermediary verses? I sure did. Did you? No. Simon the Magician. Oh, the, Simon Magus, dude. Mm-hmm. dude Which that, we can talk about a little bit. What it's... a maggot. <laughs> 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 well played.
1: <laughs> All right. Our response to royal psalm is Psalm 66, verses 1 through 3, 4 through 5, 6 through 7, 16, and 20. And the response itself is coming from verse 1. Dude, can I um, tell you that like I'm confused. You're the pastor so you can tell me anything you want.
0: Let all the earth cry out to God with joy and then the the first line is shout joyfully to God all the earth. I'm like, <laughs> dude, I, can we just not do it the same way? Uh, I don't have an answer to that. There's no answer to that. That's why I'm confused. Yeah, about. that is frustrating. Our second reading I see is, your frustration yeah. and I raise you a First Peter. <laughs> huh. I was going to give this one. Yeah, it's yours. Okay. First, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) That was my
1: invitation. Oh, thanks. Chapter
0: 3, 15 to 18.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. And our
1: gospel is coming from the gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 20. One. Ah, one. 21. Very good. Well, I'm
0: exhausted. (laughs) I really am. Dude. Oh. Me too. That's like that's that's the feeling at the end of the year. Is. It's the feeling at the end of our conversation. <laughs> so everybody, as you guys are listening to the podcast, just know that um due to summertime um uh, uh, restraints, we're going to be recording on Thursdays and not on Wednesdays. So sometimes uh, the podcast, just the way the podcast might function, is going to be slightly different.
1: That when we make jokes, we'll make jokes about Thursday instead of Wednesday. <laughs> Our, do- our jokes will be that much more dated because they'll be one day later. I'll still get it up on the regular time. Really? Yeah, dude. dude. I'm on it.
0: Really? I'm on the ball. I got it, dude. Well, welcome to the the the, the glories. Welcome to, dude. Acts of the Apostles, chapter eight. All right. So, um, dude, okay. which Philip are we actually talking about here? Philip the deacon. He went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Christ to them. So, okay. So so basically, all we ever hear about Philip is in the Gospel and then no- never again. You mean Acts? No, Philip, the This apostle. is not the apostle. Oh. oh.
1: Is he not mentioned is the apostle not mentioned in Acts? I, I don't know whether he is or not. I don't know. Is he a, might is, not be. That might be true. Do you know that I think there's a bunch of apostles that we don't hear by name
0: again in Acts. Yeah. Right? Here's here's my question is that like, dude, what are they doing then? Seriously? Who? Those well, apostles. they are
1: referenced.
0: Yeah. but In like, uh,
1: in verse 14, now when the apostles in Jerusalem, that would be including Philip.
0: So they just like hang so out So they're Jerusalem? referenced a
1: lot. Well, they're, they're Luke lumps the 12 together a lot because he'll often talk about what the 12 are doing. You know what I'm saying? So they just like hang out together? Yeah, presumably oh. as a body making decisions. Well, here actually in this reading, uh, Peter and John actually take off and go to Samaria for a little while. So they move around, but but you get the sense that they they act as a body together in Jerusalem. Got it. At least that's how Acts frames it. Yep. All right. So Philip, right? Okay. Couple of things to say here. here Philip here's, is a long distance runner. Why? He runs. He's he shows up a lot. Yeah. Here's here. Okay. Oh, there's. I have I have a lot of thoughts on this, and I want to organize them. I have more thoughts on Philip than I thought I was going to have today. Let's just put it that way.
0: So I can sense. I can see them. They're like sparkly um, fireflies around your head. Okay, my first thought.
1: Do you remember? And we've talked about this before. If you if you take Acts as a big picture, okay, at the very beginning of Acts of the Apostles, remember Acts Luke. I keep mentioning Luke. Luke is the author of Acts of the Apostles. It's volume two of the gospel, right? For those right. of you who are just just tuning in um, <laughs>
0: to the Catholic faith, uh, <laughs> or to the podcast, or to the podcast, depending on your, or. your orientation.
1: Um, at the very beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, Luke gives you a table of contents. Which is the route that the gospel message is going to follow? Do you remember this? Isn't it the three stages? We, we exactly right. It goes. Um, Jerusalem. You're going to be my Jesus is. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's part one, which is about chapters one through seven. Galilee, no. Uh, Israel,
0: no. Middle East, no. Nope. There's a big.
1: There's a big hint in the first line of the gospel, or the first line of Acts of the Apostles today. Samaria. Samaria. And so then to the world. And then to the ends of the earth. So he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem first. By the way, side note, do you know what, so remember when, when Jesus sets this agenda for the gospel to go out first to Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Again, you can see this geographically, like, ripples. So if you throw a rock into a pond, they're rippling out. You know,
0: right? there's, a, there's a technical liter, liter, literary name for what he's saying when he says Jerusalem. What is it? It's called metimony. Okay. You have that look. You have that glint in your eye. What do you... Met- metimony is when you describe the whole using a part. Mm. There's a
1: lot of metimony in the
0: Bible. Absolutely.
1: It is metiminous.
0: Yeah. So like the finger of God. Oh, so you can you can dis, you can describe the finger of God, or I'm thinking of like the Samaritan woman, who represents a whole lot of people who are absolutely. Kind of so he says, mm, "You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem." Jerusalem really is the seat of power and the yes. extension of all of Israel. Yeah, I mean, and so so it it's yeah. it's an expression of of the of the whole of Israel, but, well, but bo- contained within Jerusalem. Uh, both of those things are true, though. There's also the literal, very literal. They are
1: in Jerusalem for that part of it. Right. That, that also represents, it's both and though, you know what i Right, that's why. It's, so it's, like there really is a Samaritan woman at the well, but that woman really does also represent a greater amount of people than she. Right. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, I, I think that's a fantastic insight. Thanks. Um, oh, but I, I was just going to mention um, when Jesus says you're going to be my witnesses, do you remember what the Greek word for witness is? Martyrion. Yeah, so he literally says you're going to be my martyrs in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and out to the ends of the earth. So when he sets the agenda for what the gospel is going to do, there's an ominous note that floats over it. This is what it's going to look like in a very real sense. And most of them, the apostles, will, with the exception of John, will die physical deaths. They'll actually be martyred. But the whole life of ministry is one of martyrdom. It's one of self, dying to oneself for the sake of the gospel, all these things. And that's an insight into what's going on this week in Acts of the Apostles. So when it says Philip—excuse <coughs> me. Philip—why, <coughs> <coughs> wow, I got the coffee cough. The cough. Okay. Jeez. So Philip went down to Samaria. This is the moment that the table of contents shifts, right? This is the moment of movement from Jerusalem out to Judea and Samaria. And do you know, so I read a little bit before and after this passage, do you know what drives Philip to go down to the city of Samaria? Because it's it's really interesting. Is it this a, is a principle
0: is it, that you know very well. Is it a chariot?
1: do you see what i did right there you know i do see what you did
0: yeah i don't know what the principle is can i just read the verse right before it nope come on man okay
1: um a couple verses before it this is the very beginning of chapter 8 it says on that day a great persecution arose against the church in jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and samaria except the apostles who stayed there like we said right Uh, devout men buried Stephen. So Stephen, the first martyr, was just martyred prior to this. And they made a great limitation over him. But Saul laid waste over the church and he entered house after house and he dragged off men and women and he committed them to prison. And it says, now those who were scattered because of this persecution went about preaching the word. Philip, then we pick it up, went down to Samaria. And I think that's a really important point that we we miss if we don't know the context. Well, why is Philip going down to Samaria? He's going down to Samaria because the church in Jerusalem is being persecuted, largely at the hands of Saul, who will become Paul, who will become the greatest apostle to the church, right? But the impetus for the God—you know, when Jesus sets out this agenda early on in Acts of the Apostles, he doesn't tell you the way in which that agenda is going to be carried out. And surprisingly enough, it's carried out because of persecution, and so in, in a certain sense, it's persecution—not in a certain sense, in a very real sense—it's persecution that is the means by which the gospel is spread to the ends of the earth. Because I think if it had been up to them, they would have been perfectly happy just staying put in Jerusalem. And right. things were comfortable. Remember, we've been talking the last few weeks, this church is growing. There's thousands of people. It's thriving. It's it, You know, Luke is describing it as Plato's ideal republic, the city, all these things. Things are great. But then things turn south. Saul shows up. There's a lot of persecution. People are being put to death. And everyone has to run. But it's that act, it's that moment that is what allows the gospel to begin to spread. Right. But here's the thing about it: What was Philip? Who is Philip? We talked about him last
0: week. We just talked about him a second ago. Who is he? Philip um, is a Greek guy who um, got ordained as a deacon to yeah. provide stuff for some uh, Hellenists who were being neglected. Absolutely right. That you
1: gave the exact answer I was looking for. Right. Not to put on my professorial hat, but, but it can sound condescending, but. He's a deacon whose job it was to care for the poor, right? There are these widows that were being neglected. So they chose these Greek deacons to care for them. What am I trying to say here? Um, When we are faithful to God's will, when we say yes to him, he will usually surprise us in what our vocation actually is. He was ordained. He was given a very specific job. Go and care for these widows. But now what happens? Well, as persecution arises and the tides begin to change, he's going to be one of God's major instruments for the evangelization of the gospel, for the spreading of the gospel to the Gentile world, to the to the world outside of Jerusalem at least. Which is just, if you Philip is one of the best known of the deacons. He's probably the best known of the early deacons. Stephen probably is better than him, but he's martyred pretty early on after he's ordained, right? Yeah, I mean, and he preaches hard. He does. And then Philip is going to go on and preach to this Ethiopian eunuch. I think that shows up next week. Philip does a lot. But if you remember, oh, he was hired. (laughs) Hired is the wrong term, but you know what I mean? Ordained. He was ordained to go and care for these poor widows. That's his job. That's what he does. But there's this understanding that once you open yourself up to God's will, he's going to surprise you. He might be down hmm. in Samaria thinking, well, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up to care for the widows. But now I'm in the middle of Samaria with, you know, doing signs and wonders and performing miracles and having throngs of people being baptized at my hands. I was just chosen to go work at the soup kitchen and feed the, feed the widows some soup. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I've been struck by that, that his openness to God's will— means that the tide is always going to change. We're, God is always going to surprise us. And those of us, we were talking about this earlier today, those of us who work in ministry, the nature of ministry is that we're always going to be surprised at what we're asked to do. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And the nature of, you know, I've got my job and I've got my job description. And I've got, this is what I do at St. Thomas Aquinas. But from day to day, that's always going to change because God's always going to call us to new things. And I'm always going to find myself doing something that's unexpected. You know what I mean? So are you. You're like, okay, I'm the priest. My job is to go and say daily mass and mass on Sundays and I'll hear confessions. That's it. You know, my job, I'm the theologian. I teach some classes and I meet with people and answer questions. I don't always expect to be playing ultimate frisbee with sisters on fair and field in the middle of the day. You know, yeah. you're like, whoa, what am I doing here? And now I'm in this conversation with this person because I was in this place and, oh my gosh, this isn't what I was thought I'd be doing today at all. But that's the nature of how ministry works. And in a certain sense, there's a little martyria in that, right? right. This is what it means to be witness, to die to our own expectations of what we're supposed to be doing. Because mm. when we say yes to God, he's going to lead you to unexpected, usually really difficult, but often really beautiful places, right? Right. This is what Philip signed up for. Uh, Auspiciously, he's like, oh, I'm going to feed the widows. But he said, yes to God. You are ordained, and now get ready for the wild ride. Oh, persecution came. Saul's in town. I get to run off to Samaria because I've been chased off. Oh, I'm in Samaria. People need to hear the gospel. They're being baptized. The world is exploding at the hands of Philip. And I mean, imagine being... Either one of the apostles or somebody, you know, one of the other deacons or whoever it is. And like, wait, Philip, he was just the guy that was going to work in the soup kitchen. And now he's baptizing all of these people in the city of Samaria of all places. And you are I I, I just wonder about that. Like, are people bitter about that? Are they surprised by that? Are they jealous of that? I'm fascinated by the story of Philip. You know what I mean? I don't mean to, to, to put too fine a point on it, but... It's fascinating because not only is he baptizing people, he's dry. He's performing exorcisms. The deacon is performing exorcisms, and he's healing crippled people, and he's bringing life back to people. and And there was great joy and rejoicing. It's very
0: fascinating to me, right? It's funny. I I was just thinking to myself, like, what if I had written the job descriptions for the deacons, and then <laughs> I ended up with Philip.
1: you very well could have
0: yeah i mean it's it's just this weird thing to where you say like i hired you for one thing bro yeah and then like but but then but then the truth of it is in my soul it's like when you look and you see somebody who's working and then they become start becoming creative yeah. And they actually start engaging in a deeper capacity reg- like recognizing that the the hunger of the soul is something much more than just food can satisfy. Yeah. And being able to be present to that, I like there's something really powerful and glorious in that. Absolutely. Where I, I I'm going like, wow, that's really good. And, and this is a great example of,
1: you know, by their fruits, you shall know them. I mean, that's the thing. You see the goodness because you see the fruit of what's happening. Right. And, there's a, and that's a very real thing of discernment. But, you know, we, we mentioned the part that this gospel or that the uh, act skips over is that down in the city where Philip is, there's this guy named Simon, Simon Magus, Simon the Magician, who is apparently kind of preaching things about the Lord, but he's doing these weird magic tricks and probably making a lot of money off of it. You know, he's, he, he seems a pretty sinister kind of a guy. He seems but cynical. Cynical, sinister, maybe a little bit of both. But there's something
0: he a, probably did use his left hand.
1: But this is a guy who's
0: <laughs> hey, come on, my son's a lefty. Dude, you know that He that, can throw better
1: with his left hand at six years old than I could ever throw with my right hand. Wow, that's really intense. Maybe pathetic of me. Anyway. Um not sure if that <laughs> speaks <laughs> yeah, maybe more about you oh. than your son. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about the fact that this Simon guy, who's probably a shyster, who's who's, you know, probably Uh, manipulating people with these so-called magic tricks, he is struck by what Philip is doing. And his magic, quote-unquote, is silenced by the mighty works of God. We don't have a God whose MO is just performing miracles and everyone will believe if you do enough cool things, right? Jesus gets very mad at that in John's Gospel. But yet, the mighty works of God are enough to silence the voices of the world. That's the message of Simon the Magician. Eventually, remember, he wants to buy off Philip. He's like, if I pay you enough money, will you give me some of your magic? <laughs> but the the fact that he's, he's kind of brought to his knees by what God is actually doing. Dude, it's, it's striking to me.
0: Who's that one really creepy magician on TV? um david blaine oh i don't like david blaine <laughs> <He> <laughs> i hope mean, he's not listening yeah yeah he probably listens to this hey, podcast you know what? i don't care but this is the this is the funny thing is it's like i just imagine the magician in there kind of being like like david oh. blaine <laughs> do you remember arrested developments did you
1: ever watch that show i never did oh my gosh there's one of the one of the people on the show as a magician and it's
0: really funny. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like I just imagine him like like having this other guy come into town, and he's like, "Dude, you're ruining my gig." You're ruining dude. my gig, yeah, that's exactly. But what he then, used to. but then he's like, pays attention, and like this is because the thing: is is, is is what is magic ultimately? But the hidden, I mean, even even if it's just a trick, you mm, you have just set us up for the next part of acts so well. Thank you. Because the next
1: part of Acts, did you read it?
0: Because it it should frustrate people if you read it carefully. Like uh, past what we read, uh, I mean, like in the reading today. In
1: the reading itself. Yeah, yeah.
0: Did you get frustrated?
1: Maybe you didn't because you understand the ecclesial reality that's going on here. But let me read it to you and let me see how it sits with all of you listening out there. Okay. So Simon the Magician, he's moved. Philip's doing all this stuff. It's amazing. People are, all this stuff's going on. Things are great.
0: I did read it, by the way.
1: No, I know you did. I know you did. But you might also be used to this. You've heard it a million times. I know. Now when the apostles, when the 12 up in Jerusalem, heard that even Samaria, and now when you hear that, remember how much the Jews hated the Samaritans and Absolutely. vice versa. Absolutely. They heard the Samaritans of all people had accepted the word of God. They sent Peter and John. They're like, we got to send the pope. We got to send the pope and John. we got to send the pope and his best bishop down there to deal with this. And not to deal with it, but to well, we'll get to engage it. Let's go. Yeah, engage it. That's a better way to put it. We got to sent Peter and John, who went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for it had not yet fallen upon any of them. Catch the next line, but be- they, because they had only been baptized
0: but in the, the name of the Lord Jesus. But we know that the Spirit comes in baptism in a partial but incomplete way. So what the heck is going on? Then they laid hands on them
1: and they received the Holy Spirit. What on earth? Do you know? Do you know the ecclesial reality that's going on here? Because it 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 took me a little bit to be like, wait. Wait, what is, and then I remember that I'd studied this before. This is. I don't know. Well, you, you actually articulated it, which is what's funny about it. So you do deep, deeply know what this is. This is one of the places that the church looks to explain what confirmation is. Yes. And so there's a little bit of a misnomer here. It's not that they didn't receive the, here's how the church reads this. Our Protestant friends would disagree with us on this. But how the church reads this, it's not saying they didn't receive the Holy Spirit at all, because we know the nature of baptism confers the Holy Spirit. But we also know as Catholics that there, there is a step two to baptism. Right. And while we receive the Holy Spirit at baptism, it's not until confirmation that that spirit that we've been given is activated and brought to life in a new and very real way, which we need. We need, which is why, you know, this is why I think yeah, at least the church in Denver and some other parts of the country and the world have changed the age of confirmation a little bit younger because we've gained this understanding that, oh, confirmation is kind of this rite of passage. It's what I'm saying, I'm confirming my we've faith. We've
0: recovered, not, we, yes. not gained. Because what I a, You said we've gained, which is actually oh, the reality is, is, yes, that, right. is that, that it only shifted in the 20th century.
1: No, you're absolutely right. So it's moved younger because, I mean, the reality is in—, in, in in theory, a child could be baptized, or it could be confirmed as soon as he's baptized, right right As an infant. That's possible because confirmation is not this you know public statement that I am confirming my faith and I want to believe this. It's simply activating the Holy Spirit that's given to us in baptism. And so what's happening here? Well Philip, who's a deacon, goes and baptizes all of these people in Samaria. but Philip cannot unlock the gift of the Holy Spirit in confirmation. What does it take to do that? It takes the bishops. So, who comes down from Jerusalem? Bishops need to come from Jerusalem, the Pope and John, so that they can lay hands upon these people, which has always been the sign of confirmation for the Catholics. They lay hands and it activates the Holy Spirit in a new way that wasn't um, that wasn't activated before. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it, 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 for Catholics, this is one of those moments where you're like, oh, for me, when I first understood what was going on here, it was the first time I was like, oh, I understand confirmation now. Right. I never got it before. Right. I get this connected to Pentecost somehow and all this stuff, but this passage was like, oh, that's what we believe. Yeah, no, no. The Holy Spirit is there in baptism, but they needed the apostles to come and lay hands to bring it to life in their hearts and their minds and their bodies in a new way. Which is very beautiful. So so Philip as a deacon is given this vocation, this role, this job that he never dreamed he was gonna have, but he still needs to be united to the greater church in order to do what God intends to do. I don't know. it's this this great ecclesial moment where you see the pieces of the body of Christ working together to make the to make things go forward. I love it. yeah, it's such an ecclesially rich passage.
0: I totally agree. It was funny because I, I know that uh, Father Matt Hartley at one point he'd gotten um he got entangled up with a a very specific Protestant sect. That um, believed that you were not a member unless the Holy Spirit had like descended upon you. And so they, so they would, they, they, in the baptism in the name of Jesus. So you like, it was in the name of Jesus alone, not father, son, Holy Spirit. Oh, that's, and, I mean, it was, like, that's it, no good. It was like taking passages like this and then like. And then, like, seeing like the like, like totally extending them to like this totally weird place where it's like, no, you can say baptism. They'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, which means that we can extend that by saying the Lord Jesus, we have metimony. It's using a part to describe the whole of of baptism because we always have to remember that parchment was expensive. Yes, Seriously, true. You, you write anything down in this age, and it was it was costly. Yes. Even through the Middle Ages, like they, they would ab- abbreviate most words. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we call it paleography, which is yeah. like where you take abbreviated Latin words and then extend them out so that you call them – it's transliteration. Yeah. And then you – It's like shorthand. Yeah, it's shorthand. And so you always have to remember that like when, mm-hmm. when you – any way you can like – Reduce something down Absolutely. to write it so so that what what happens though is we get this beautiful expression of the church yeah, which leads yeah. us um, to the earth crying out with joy.
1: Yeah, and and I think it's it's um, important that this is the psalm that we have this week because again, this is the moment. Here's how I'm connecting this: this is the moment that the um, Acts of the Apostles shifts in a new direction because this is the moment that it's the church is moving from being purely a jewish reality to being one that's now being focused outward toward the, we haven't reached the ends of the earth yet but this is the moment that we shift it's a tectonic shift it's a hugely tectonic shift because now the ends is being of the earth turned into tried land what's well, true i don't know if you're making a joke but you're what you're saying is right and profound. Propen- no, no. I'm, I'm saying you have that smirk true. on your face oh, you're i'm saying, saying really true things funnily okay i got gotcha. you. Um, yeah, let all the earth cry out with God with joy. The eyes shout joyfully to all the earth, sing praise to the glory of his name, uh, proclaim his glorious praise. Say to the Lord, how tremendous are your deeds. Your deeds, in this case, performed at the hands of the deacon Philip, whose job, again, it was, as far as he knew, to go and work at the soup kitchen. I don't mean, by the way, let me just clarify. I'm not trying to downplay the importance of something like working in a soup kitchen and feeding those who are hungry. I, I hope it doesn't sound like. Oh, it, it, it sounds, sounds like oh, you're doing no- that. Really?
0: No, not at all. <laughs> well,
1: if it does, that's not what I'm saying, because that is because it's a profoundly important vocation.
0: It's, it's, it's actually essential, scripturally, to serve the poor a, as a believer. So, so I'm not
1: saying but that Philip now has a much more important, better role. It's just a different role. It's not what he thought he was going to do. It's, it's act- different.
0: It's actually still essential in the uh, in the diaconal role is to give the ministry of charity. Absolutely.
1: But the irony of this psalm, again, let the earth cry out to God with joy. Why are they crying out to God with joy? Because they're seeing his tremendous deeds. Well, why are they seeing his tremendous deeds? Well, because persecution has sprung up and there are martyrdoms. That's what gives the earth the opportunity to cry out to God with joy. Because otherwise the church would have stayed holed up in Jerusalem where things were nice and comfortable and thriving and good and great. But now persecution and things have gotten hard, which makes them have to move outside of themselves. But you know what? The earth gets to cry out to God with joy because of that. If it wasn't for the persecution, the gospel would not have been spread to the ends of the earth. And so this is the, Tertullian, right, has this famous line, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This is precisely what he means by that. The church would not have begun to grow had it not been for that persecution. Now, had it not been for persecution, God would have found another way for which the church should have grown. But that happens to be the way in which it happened, which is just the irony of this psalm, I think, is worth noting. Again, the earth is crying out to God for joy because because believers have been responsive even to the point of death. And that has been the seed. Unless a grain of wheat shall fall to the ground and die, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it goes into the ground, it will sprout and it will grow like the church did. So I, 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 yeah, that's what I'm hearing when I'm when I'm hearing this psalm in the context of the first reading.
0: So what you're saying is, <laughs> here we go, <laughs> that the, the church is a little acorn uh-huh. that can become a big oak, uh-huh. and it started in this moment. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, you are.
1: You're saying profound, serious things.
0: Funnily, and I don't. I don't understand. I don't, I, I cannot handle your. I cannot handle your ironic speech. I can't handle your ironic speech. Which, um, oh. dude, it's because my first letter. You know, I don't know. I don't. Know to, <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah.
1: Peter, again, I don't, I don't know what to say about this one.
0: I like. I try, I was like trying to contextualize it within the other two, and I just uh, the other three, and it's just not easy. Um, I had a bunch of things and then I kind of forgot. Well, oh no, 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 no. I got ex- it. I got, I got it. I'm explanation there. of hope. I mean, it's I'm like, be, always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope, but do it with gentleness and reverence, keeping your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who defame your good conduct in, in Christ may, may themselves be put to shame. So it's just basically, it's like, it's like, what are they going? I mean, like the martyr is the one, it's like, if you want to measure your Christian, your Christian life. You look at what you actually do. How is your behavior different? Yes. We, it's like what we were talking about before the podcast. Like, serious sin and serious prayer cannot coexist. Yeah, I mean, on a daily one basis, will drive out the other. One will drive out the other. Yes.
1: Yeah, which. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. But then take it in a different light for a second, because again, this is this takes some work to put it in context um sanctify literally christ means the king sanctify the king as lord there's a redundancy peter peter now in his old age is driving this home always be ready for this dude i
0: I was thinking about 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 that idea in the ordination right because when you when you kneel before the bishop which just
1: happened here in the archdiocese
0: a couple days ago eight new priests baby baby priests, and um uh, what what the what you do is you kneel in front of the bishop and the bishop asks you do you promise respect and obedience? Mm. So like if you're talking about king and lord, like you mm. don't call somebody my lord yeah. unless you're you're actually interested. Like like unless you're you're I mean you can do it out of you can sucking do it at, up yeah 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 and 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 out of out of you know whatever yeah but the reality is is that you call somebody that's my lord like yeah like the, the, that's that's the respect portion yes even though you always have to be obedient to the king
1: ah oh, because he's the king he's the king but you so don't have
0: to respect you the king. don't have to or res- you don't you have to be obedient but you don't oh that's oh that's a I good mean, insight I mean, 'Cause like really how much of uh how many times in our lives do we go and our relationship to authority has no respect to it? Right. We say, you know, There's I, an obedience yeah, in a certain I, sense. I'm gonna but... listen to my boss, but my really my yeah. boss is just Michael from the office. <laughs>
1: My boss isn't.
0: Dude, that's my deepest fear in life is that no. I'm actually just Michael from The Office. Have you heard that
1: line that if you if you don't know a Michael from The Office, that means you
0: probably are? Oh. <laughs> have you heard that before? No. <laughs> no okay, but, so,
1: so, so with that, which I love that insight, what I keep wanting to do is put it back to Philip. Okay, so what does this have to do? Take it back to Philip. This is what the church wants ringing in our head from the beginning of the liturgy of the word. Okay, so what does this have to do with Philip. Always be ready. The word, by the way, always be ready to give an explanation. The word in Greek is a defense, so this is a legal term. Be ready to defend yourself. Uh, I don't think it's apologia, but it 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 might be apologia. But be ready to defend yourself to give a reason for your hope and what these things. So, what is Philip doing? Well, when Philip is ordained as a deacon, he is doing exactly what you said those baby priests did on Saturday, right? He's pledging his obedience to those apostles, but not just the apostles, but Jesus himself. Right. His obedience and his respect to the apostles and to Jesus. Well, to Jesus and the apostles, right? Let me put that in correct order. Well, what does that mean? Well, in his case, it means being driven down to Samaria to work a bunch of miracles, to perform exorcisms, and to baptize a whole throng of people. And I bet that there were people like, wait a second, you're just a deacon. How? Who, where did you get the right to do all this stuff? Mm. Guess what? That's Philip's moment to give a defense. Because I am obedient and I'm respecting my king and my lord. That is Philip's defense. I'm thinking of... All of the way, you know, we, we, we want to be like, oh, well, the coworker, you know, asks you, what are you doing on Sunday? Oh, I go to church. Why do you go to church? Yes, that is giving a reason for our faith. That, that's one level. Right. But there's also the Philip level. We're Like, wait, what are you doing? I'm following God's will. I'm following where he has led me and where he has led me is Samaria where I'm performing exorcisms and baptizing maybe hundreds of people. That is my defense because I was ordained and I received my vocation and I followed him. And Peter is reflecting on that. Mm. And I wonder if somewhere in the back of Peter's mind is that moment. He's like, I remember when I got the call that Philip was down in Samaria and I had to go and I had to follow up. And I remember ordaining Philip as a deacon. And I had no idea that he was. I was going to be confirming the people that he baptized someday. I just thought he'd be, you know, doing these other tasks But now all of a sudden I'm doing this for Philip because he followed God's will. He was able to give a defense for following God's will. You know, there's also, you know, why, Father Peter, why did you become a priest? You know, I can't believe that you're living this life and you're doing these things. And Scott, you know, you could have done anything. Why are you working for the church? And you've adopted these kids from these crazy circumstances. What's, what the heck? What is the defense? Well, I'm being obedient to the will of God in my life. This is why my life looks the way that it does and not a different way. I
0: like that because I'm being obedient. Yeah, and I like the line It says cuz hey, guess what? It's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Right. Which is, means that there's only one <laughs> you're option. To suffer one way or the other. Yeah, yeah rich or poor, everybody got to suffer. Mm-hmm. Like like uh, that was Stan Fortuna we were just talking about him the other day.
1: And what's the result going to be? Well, those who are maligning you are eventually going to be put to shame. Not because you're a jerk about it. Well, I have every right to baptize because I'm I'm cool and I'm a deacon, and I'm going to do this thing like No, I'm following God's will and they will see the fruit by their fruit. You shall know them. And when they see your fruit, they will be put to shame because they'll recognize, oh, he's following God's will. And that has been made clear in the fruit of his life one way or the other. You know, this is this is Peter's reflection. So I'm reading this again in light of Philip because I think it's an appropriate thing to do. And we can apply it in all sorts of different ways, but I don't know. I it's it's interesting when you put it in the life of Philip, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I like it. Anyway, because put to death in the flesh, he was brought to life in the spirit, mm-hmm. and then, that that's the same. That's the Jesus. That's what it means to have Jesus be the way. That's it. That's it exactly. And so Philip did. He's got. He's putting death to the flesh. It's, it's
1: also another way of describing confirmation. We're brought to life in the spirit when that act. When those when that those bishops lay their hands upon us. It brings to life that which was dormant within us, perhaps.
0: I'm still sad they don't slap us anymore.
1: (laughs) Did you get slapped?
0: No. I didn't get slapped either. No, dude. Be soldiers. My (laughs) mom
1: would always kind of stick it to me with that. She's like, well, we got slapped when we were confirmed. You guys just had, the bishop asked you a question. Yeah. Bishop Nicholas was the one who performed my confirmation. Nice. I think.
0: Mine was Cardinal Stafford. Ooh. I got more of this (laughs) good. I belong to Apollo. Oh,
1: man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very good. Uh, All right, John.
0: All right. John, you, this is in the if midst. You, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, bro. Mm, I do love you. Okay, then I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you an advocate, and he's mm. going to be with you always, the spirit of the truth, whom the world cannot accept. I, I was thinking about the apposition,
1: speaking of grammatical.
0: Wow, dude. Nice, uh,
1: positive. Thanks, dude. But the apposition of this sentence is, is kind of striking, I will ask the father. He will give you another advocate. Uh, the, the word there in Greek is parakaleo. We've talked about parakaleo, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I it's love the, that word.
1: Oh, it's the best. The you know what, Do you remember what it means, literally? It's where we get the term, the parakle. To do one you know, who walk with, isn't it? To walk beside. Ah, yeah. So he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to my father, and I'm going to send you one who will literally walk beside you, because you won't see me anymore. But one will walk beside you, the advocate, the parakaleo, who will be with you always, literally walking next to you, The spirit of apposition means that the second phrase uh, explains the first. So this advocate who will be with you always is the spirit of truth whom the world will not accept. What is the world not accepting? The the world is not not accepting us. The world doesn't reject us or our faith or our beliefs. They actually are rejecting the Holy Spirit, which is activated within us Mm -hmm. when we are rejected for the sake of our faith, which Jesus is reminding us. No, it's not about you. You do your job. You be obedient. You be faithful. And the world's going to beat up me, and they're going to beat up my servant, and they're going to beat up the advocate that I send, and you're going to reap some of the repercussions of that. But it's about me. It's not about you. You be faithful. You do the job. And I'm going to bear fruit in your life if you do that. It's not about the world. Don't be afraid of them. And I, I think on a real level, what Jesus is reminding his apostles, who he's speaking to at this moment, not to be afraid of the world. The world won't accept you, but it's because they don't accept me. It's because it's deeper than that. And when you feel rejected and beat up, it's not because the world hates you. It's because they hate me and I sent you and you're on the right team and you're in good company. So it's OK. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Because I bet Pete, I bet uh, Philip was terrified when he was running from Saul, who was going door to door, at said Acts, persecuting and killing. He's like, oh, I got to get out of here. And he goes to Samaria and he's like, oh, I'm here for a reason. I got to be doing something. I bet there was a lot of fear in that decision to go down there, though.
0: Mm.
1: I don't know. I don't know. There's there's a lot here, though. But he's like, but I won't leave you orphans. So again, I keep thinking of Philip. I have to leave my home. I live in Jerusalem. That's where my family is. That's where my friends are. That's where my career is. That's all this stuff. I've got to leave because I'm being persecuted, and Saul's going door to door. I'm down in Samaria. I feel like an orphan. And here Jesus is in the Gospels. Maybe Philip had the great grace of remembering or hearing those words that Jesus said back when he was walking on the earth, saying, no, 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 I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you desolate, as some translations say, as Philip probably felt because he followed God's will. There's going to come a moment for any of us who are serious about following God's will in our life that we feel like orphans. We feel like I'm alone. I don't know where to turn. I feel like I'm doing God's will. I'm trying to do what he's asking of me, but it's really hard and I feel really lonely. And that's the moment that these words should be activated, saying, no, I won't leave you as orphans. You are not alone. I will come to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but it will see. But you will see me because I live and you will live. And on that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Which is basically saying, I am tying you directly back to the persons of the Trinity. Because of who you are and the baptism that's in you. And the confirmation that has been activated in you, you are directly tied to the life of the Trinity. Whether you feel like orphans or not, it's not reality. The reality is you are tied
0: into the life of the divine. I was uh, reading, um, I was doing a reread, uh, one of uh, Head Revisited. And there's a moment when uh, Charles Ryder is on a ship from uh, America back to Great Britain. and um, And he's there and there's a huge storm and the, the title of the chapter is called Orphans of the Storm. And um and uh, and so he's there and it's him and all, and like just a small handful of people on this whole ship who are not just radically seasick, just puking, <laughs> unable to get out of bed. And and so it was it's just this interesting thing because like I love the idea of the Orphans of the Storm that mm-hmm. like like the the storm actually isolates you from the experience of what other people are. Hmm. Like what they're doing because we're we're talking about the contrast of the flesh and the spirit and like as the world goes off, there's like we live a different <laughs> life as Christians. Yeah, and um and and we we can peek in on the other life, but the other life struggles to peek in on what we do because there's a certain That's amount a of in, a certain amount of investment because they're kind of they're, the flesh rages against the spirit. Yeah, and um whereas whereas the spirit can see the flesh clearly. Mm. And so, mm. so like when it says, I'm not going to leave you orphans, I, I just like have this image of, of like being able to be mobilized in what normally takes out the rest of culture, takes mm. out the rest of people. So, so it's, it, it, and, and, and so you can see this stuff. And so as we're like talking about Philip and mm. Peter and John, and as they're going, they're going to the ends of the earth. Um, they're able to encounter the culture, but it's the question of uh, is the culture able to encounter them and to understand? And that's where the most powerful reality that we have as Christians is invitation, period. Be- yes. Is, is the invitation into another way, an invitation into seeing things. I was. I because was ta- in this case, the answer to your
1: question is yes. Because sometimes the world is able to see in.
0: Yes, and when they not can, always no, no, but 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 when they're invited to be able to see, yeah, they say, oh, hold on, there is like I can, yes. I'm getting a perspective on my own life in such a way that I could have hope. Yes, um, I was yeah. talking to Father Mbala yesterday. We were talking about purging books and uh, how hard it is to actually get rid of any book. Mm. And he said, he said, because I look at each book and I think of the thoughts in the books. Oh, that's and, profound. And he's like, he's like, and to get rid of that book is to get rid of those thoughts. And I was like, I was like, you're never gonna purchase a <laughs> book in your, your whole life, no. dude. I no, was never I, I actually don't think of them that way. I'm like, dude, there a lot of them just stand as accusation. <laughs> you didn't read me when you were in school. And no. I'm like, and I'm gonna read you now. And then they're like, No, I don't
1: think so. You're not gonna read me. That is accusatory. I see pseudo Dionysius staring at me,
0: accusing me. Dude, I I know it accused me, and I actually love the fathers. I love yeah. reading Who the doesn't? fathers. But then, I don't ever read the Fathers, and mm-hmm. I don't know what my story is. <laughs> That's all right um so I, so the moral of today's podcast
1: can I say one thing well are you are you do you
0: have one or are you no i'm prompting I'm, me i'm I'm uh looking into my own soul to see if I can bring this together in an idea.
1: Can I add one thing? Yeah. maybe it a little help.
0: Yeah. I just want
1: to add the line that comes after the reading that we have in the gospel okay. that we don't get. So Jesus says all these beautiful things. I'm going to, whoever loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him. And I'll reveal myself to him and the world will not know you, blah, 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 blah. And right after he says all that, you have, you'd think it was t Diddy, but it's not. It's somebody else. Just to point out that other people don't get it too. Um, it's in verse 22. It says, Judas, and then John makes clear to say, not Iscariot, the other one, not the bad Judas. So Judas, not the Iscariot, said to him, wait a second, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Because Jesus had this whole beautiful, profound thing of like, I'm going to manifest. You're going to be one with the Father. You'll be tied into the divine life. The world will not know you, will re- reject you, but it rejected me and da, 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 da. He's like, wait a second, wait a second. You're going to reveal yourself but the world won't see it, only we will? How can that be? If you reveal yourself, won't it be like a big, huge royal act or sitting on a throne or a big, you know, sparks, lightning coming from heaven? Like, what's the deal? And, of course, the implied an- he gives a cryptic answer, of course. But the implied answer is, well, the answer actually is confirmation. It's because the spirit will be revealed not just to you, but actually in you. How is it you're going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Oh, it's because I'm going to manifest myself physically inside of you so that your job is to be manifest to the world, mm. to invite, as you said. It's not going to be a big you know, flashing light or neon sign in the sky that only you can read and nobody else. The flashing neon light is literally inside of you. So if the world is to see the flashing neon light, it needs to see you first. So show up to the game, be obedient, and go where I send you. 'Cause the world needs that.
0: Which is so this is interesting. I mean, our whole context today is the is the tectonic shift of acts in the church missionizing to go out. Yes. And so but what's interesting is in that mission you have somebody who's called to a specific mission, the deacon Philip. Yeah. But that in the midst of that, as the Holy Spirit has come out upon him and and has gifted him, he actually has to break away from this the typical understanding of what he's doing, which is probably a stress. He's like, "Dude, I, this wasn't." I gonna... bet it is. He's like, "This is not in my job description, <laughs> right?" To, to proclaim the word in this way? Yeah. Or he's super pumped. He was like, "I thought I wasn't allowed to do this." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so and so he has to make a break. Mm. And he breaks away, and he breaks good. Yeah, you know, he does not break bad. Ah, uh, mm. He breaks good, and like goes for it, and and is is an inspiration, which is which is exactly. What this like lack of orphan? It's like when you break away and you have to do leadership, and you're like the Lord puts it on your heart. Mm. Like any leader I know is feels orphaned, feels mm. feels like where is my kindred? Who is with me? Mm. Because those who they lead, they're always gonna struggle with them a little bit. I mean, right. we always struggle with our leaders, right? You know, of course. like uh, people are gonna struggle with the priest, they're gonna struggle with their boss, they're gonna mm. struggle with the president, they're gonna struggle with the. All of those expressions, All of them. Um, but that that it's like um, so. But in in John, it just says, "I'm not going to leave you that way. Mm. We're going to be incorporated fully. You're going to have total, 100% communion and understanding." And so, I don't know. I just I just see that maybe it's it's the the it, this idea is we're going out in mission that we have to take stuff up and it's going to look strange, mm. but that it's precisely in that that if we have courage that. Um, that the Lord is going to show up. Coraggio. Coraggio, mi amigo. Mm. Claro sí. All right, everybody. We'll have courage this week until the next the podcast. podcast. And then you cannot have Then you can again. let your guard down. Yeah.
1: All right. We will uh, see you then. Have a great sixth week of Easter. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.pawc.com lankyguys.org. See you next week.